chapter thirty three of the lady's mile this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the lady's mile by mary elizabeth braddon chapter thirty three a commercial earthquake the autumn wore away and the pevens hall coverts afforded sport for a succession of visitors this second autumn of mr lapier's married life was very much like the first the only change worthy of record was the fact that day by day flo saw less of her husband and more of sir nugent evershed howden park was so near the millionaire's handsome dwelling-place and sir nugent was such a popular person that it was scarcely strange if the young mistress of pevens hall deferred to him in all her arrangements and considered no dinner-party complete without his presence if mrs lobier had elected the elegant young baronet as her chief friend and adviser there was no one to gainsay her election vague murmurs and piquant little whispers might circulate freely within a given radius of pevens hall but florence was of course the last person likely to hear the little whispers and not by any means a person to be warned or affrighted by the first breath of scandal if it had reached her cecil was ill in london mr crawford was loitering on a sweet honeymoon ramble in the fairest pathways of italy and mr lobier was absorbed in gloomy watchfulness of the money market and the cotton trade on the horizon of which prosaic world a great cloud had been gathering during the last few months there had been awful crashes in the commercial world thunderbolts falling suddenly in the fairest places mr lobier and his manchester friends held solemn conclave in the millionaire's snuggery and discoursed of the failures amongst the mighty with grave ominous faces but with a certain unction and relish nevertheless florence did not even pretend to be interested in the commercial crisis or the commercial earthquakes everybody in our way is being ruined i understand she said gaily to her intimates at the breakfast-table gray shirtings are obstinately bent on being dull and those foolish people in america are putting us to all sorts of inconvenience and everybody who sells cotton is going to be ruined at least that's what i gather from the gloomy tenor of mr lobier's conversation but that sort of thing is a monomania with very rich people is it not the more billions a man possesses the more obstinately he broods upon the idea that he must ultimately die in a workhouse i've heard of men with billions cutting their throats under the influence of that idea about the workhouse but seriously i do hope that we shall not be ruined it would be so dreadful to have one's carpets hung out of the upstair windows and dirty men making inventories of one's china thus discoursed mrs lobier in her gayest and most delightful manner to the extreme amusement of her chosen friends to whom the cabala of the cotton trade was as dark a mystery as to herself but there were one or two grave business men seated at that sumptuous breakfast-table 
to whom mrs labier's frivolous talk seemed like the twittering of some innocent bird which is premonitory of a tempest the painter's daughter went her own way and there was no friendly hand to stay her progress on that dangerous path which a woman is apt to take when she wanders at her own sweet will she was not happy already the glories and splendours of her life were beginning to grow flat and stale she had sold herself for a price and the price had been freely paid to her but of late she had begun to wonder whether the barter of womanly pride and maidenly purity had been made on the most profitable terms within the possibilities of the matrimonial market pevens hall place was a most lordly mansion but it seemed a poor thing to be mistress of a parvenu's dwelling-place when in the remote depths of her inner consciousness lurked the conviction that she might have reigned in the quaint old tapestried chambers of howden and held her place among the magnates of the land by the indisputable right of rank instead of the half-contemptuous sufferance accorded to money she was not happy that faculty for womanly tenderness and devotion which constitutes woman's highest charm the most perilous weakness had not yet been awakened in this young wife's heart sir nugent devershed's companionship was very agreeable to her his devotion was the most delicious food supplied to that all-devouring monster feminine vanity but no pulse in florence lobbier's heart beat the quicker for the baronet's coming no blank place in her life bore witness to his absence when he left her she liked him and she bitterly regretted not having met him in the days when she was florence crawford but if there was indeed one tender spot in her heart one remnant of girlish romance still lingering in her breast it was not this elegant baronet but a dark-eyed bearded young painter whose image was enshrined in that one sacred corner of the worldly soul sitting alone in her room mrs lobier was apt to look pensively at philip foley's little chef d'oeuvre and to wonder about the painter as she looked i dare say he is married by this time she thought and has set up a house for himself somewhere in that dreadful islington i can fancy his wife one of those gigantic creatures whom vulgar men call fine women mused flo as she lifted her eyes to the duchess glass in which her slender little figure was reflected but if the one green spot in the arid waste of a worldly nature was given to the landscape painter he was no less certain that sir nugent evershed's presence was eminently calculated to endanger the domestic peace of pevens hall if his delicate consideration his quiet homage his apparently unselfish devotion did not imperil flo's position as a wife they had at least the effect of rendering her husband day by day more hateful in her eyes she had never liked him but she had married him with the honest intention of trying to like him just as some people go through their lives with the intention of learning the german language or thorough bass she had tried perhaps a little but had speedily given up the attempt in despair and from the hour of her rencontre with miss de raymond she had considered herself privileged to dislike and despise the man whom she had married she had quarrelled with him for the first time in her life during the last few weeks and though the dispute had arisen out of some trifle scarcely worthy of remembrance it had not been the less bitter hard words had been uttered on both sides the hardest perhaps by the impetuous flow 
who was apt to say even more than she meant when she felt herself aggrieved and injured thank you very much for all the civil things you've said to me mrs labier i think i know you pretty well after the charming candour with which you have favoured me to-day but i don't think you quite know me yet you are very young and very inexperienced and you have a lesson or two to learn before you are much older i hope i may have the satisfaction of teaching you one of those lessons this was mr labier's parting speech as he left his wife's apartment the vague threat occasioned florence neither alarm nor anxiety she would have been ready to apologize to her husband if he had given her the opportunity of doing so but anything in the nature of a threat was eminently calculated to steel her heart against the lord and master whom at the best she had only tolerated after this domestic storm there came a deadly calm during which the husband and wife treated each other with frigid politeness but little by little the storm-cloud passed away from flo's sunshiny nature and she drifted back into the good-humoured nonchalance of manner with which she had been wont to accept mr labier and all other necessary evils of late mr labier had been if possible even less agreeable than usual a dense gloom had come down upon him and systematically as his guests were wont to ignore his presence there were times when he brought a chilling influence into the brilliantly lighted drawing-room as of a man newly arrived from some frozen region and bearing the icy blasts of that region in the folds of his garments flo made one or two feeble attempts to penetrate this gloom merely as a matter of duty but found herself rudely repulsed so she concluded that the monomania which is the peculiar chastisement of millionaires had attacked her husband and that his gloomy musings were darkened by the shadow of a workhouse after having come to this conclusion she troubled herself with no further anxiety on a subject which was foreign to the usual current of her thoughts mr labier went his way and his wife went hers and that delightful calm which generally reigns in households where husband and wife are utterly indifferent to each other reigned for a while at pevens hall and might have continued if a most insignificant event had not occurred to cloud the serene horizon the insignificant event was the resignation of one of those superb creatures the matched footman how the calamity arose mrs labier was unable fully to ascertain but it appeared that the master of pevens hall had expressed himself to the superb creature in language which such a creature knowing his own value could not and would not brook from any master living the footman had immediately tendered his resignation had received his salary and departed leaving his brother lackey in lonely grandeur and as much deteriorated in value as a saddler vase which has lost its companion vase flo did not hear of her loss till the man had left pevens hall on receiving the dismal tidings she abandoned herself for the moment to despair they were so exactly the same height she cried piteously and the same breadth across the shoulders one might get two men the same height easily enough i dare say but what is the use of that if one man is a life guardsman and the other a thread paper and now jones is gone tomkins is positively useless unless i can match him oh sir nugent you really must assist me to find a decent match for tomkins nonsense said mr labier i'll have no more of your matched footmen fellows who are as insolent on the strength of their legs as your primi tenori 
on the strength of their voices i know a man who can take jones's place at a minute's notice but will he match exclaimed the despairing flo that is the question will he match tomkins i don't know and i don't care answered mr lobier coolly he'll suit me and that's enough florence opened her eyes to their widest extent and remained for some moments staring fixedly at her husband as in a trance brutal though the man was by nature he had chosen heretofore to let his wife exercise unquestioned authority in all household arrangements and that he should interfere with her now that he should come between her and those sacred symbols of her state the matched footmen was something more than she could understand for a moment her breath seemed to fail her but she recovered herself presently and replied with fitting dignity you may engage what servants you please mr lobier but i decline to be waited upon by any one who does not match tomkins after which mrs lobier summoned the housekeeper and requested that functionary to make arrangements for the earliest possible filling up of the hiatus in the servants hall and having so far asserted her position flo resumed the occupation of the moment and dismissed the subject of the twin lackeys from her thoughts at dinner however she was reminded of her bereavement by the appearance of a stumpy pale-faced man in a livery which was a great deal too large for him but who moved about amongst the other servants with a quiet self-possession and a noiseless footfall which spoke well for his past training she saw no more of this man till the following day when he came into the morning-room where she happened to be for a few minutes alone with sir nugent trying a new song which he had brought her the strange footman came into the room to remove some flowers from a jardiniere in one of the windows flo turned round from the piano to see what he was doing who told you to move those geraniums she asked one of the gardeners sent for them ma'am the man performed his duty noiselessly and retired i don't like that man exclaimed the baronet as the door closed on mr lobier's protege he seems a very good servant but he doesn't match tomkins sighed flo he does his work quietly enough answered sir nugent but he is not like a servant how do you mean there's something in his manner that i don't like a watchfulness a stealthy underhand kind of manner is there i haven't noticed it he might be as stealthy as an assassin in an italian opera so far as i'm concerned if he only matched tomkins after this mrs lobier took no further notice of the servant who had been hired by her husband in place of the splendid jones she submitted to his presence very patiently relying on the ultimate success of her housekeeper's researches amongst magnificent creatures of the tomkins stamp but sir nugent evershed who had no right to take objection to any arrangement in the house at which he was so constant a visitor could not refrain from expressing his dislike to the strange footman while that individual by some fatality seemed always to be on duty during the baronet's visits i think you must have a mystical attraction for the man as strong in its way as your antipathy to him said flo for i very seldom see him except when you are here really the prejudice is so absurd on your part that i can't help laughing at you i never could endure a sneak answered sir nugent and that man is a sneak i t will tell you something more than that mrs lobier he is not a footman not a footman what is he then surely not a gentleman in disguise decidedly not but he is no footman there is an unmistakable stamp upon a footman a servant's hall mark which is not on that man 
mr lobier heard nothing of the baronet's objection to his protege for mr lobier had absented himself from pevens hall of late and was heard of now in manchester now in london anon in paris there were vacant chambers now in the luxurious mansion for as her guests of august and september dropped off mrs lobier did not care to invite fresh visitors without the concurrence of her husband even while going her own way she had always made some shadowy pretence of deferring to his wishes and he was in a manner necessary to her a social lay figure without which her drawing-room was incomplete his spasmodic departures to manchester had not interfered with the arrangements of the mansion but now that he was absent day after day and week after week mrs lobier felt herself called upon to maintain a certain sobriety in the household over which she presided visitors who had been staying in the house dropped off and no other guests came to fill the vacant chambers no invitations were issued for dinner-parties or hunting breakfasts in the millionaire's absence major and mrs henniker and one inane young lady were now the only guests and florence would have found the spacious rooms very dreary if it had not been for the perpetual droppings in of sir nugent evershed whose horses spent the best part of their existence between howden and pevens hall he came perpetually there was always some pretext for his coming some reason for his loitering when he came he had turned architect and philanthropist and was intensely interested in these schools and cottages which flo was going to build and the plans and specifications and estimates for which were the subjects of an interminable discussion sometimes deaf mrs henniker sometimes the inane young lady played propriety during these long visits of the baronet sometimes but very rarely sir nugent and mrs lobier sat alone in the drawing-room or morning-room or strolled up and down the terrace on some fine autumnal morning discussing the schools and cottages it was upwards of a month since the new footman had replaced the splendid jones and during the best part of the man's service mr lobier had been absent from home flo's spirits drooped in the empty house she suffered acutely from that dismal reaction which is the penalty that must be paid sooner or later by all who have tried to create for themselves a spurious kind of happiness from perpetual excitement the long dreary evenings sorely tried mrs lobier's patience mrs henniker's berlin wool work the inane young lady's performances on the piano the major's long stories of indian warfare were all alike vanity and vexation to her and she must have perished for lack of some distraction if it had not been for her schools and cottages and sir nugent evershed he came to bevan's hall one cold october afternoon when major henniker had driven his wife and the inane young lady to chiverley on a shopping expedition leaving florence alone in the drawing-room with a very ponderous historical work newly arrived from the london librarian a work which the young matron set herself to read with a desperate resolution i really must improve my mind she said my ideas of history have never soared above pinnock and i have all sorts of old-fashioned notions i don't want anything at chiverley so i shall stay at home this afternoon dear mrs henniker and devote myself to the tudors i am going to read about that dear good high principled henry the eighth who has only been properly understood within the last few years when the pony phaeton had started with her three guests mrs lobier ensconced herself in one of the most luxurious of the easy chairs and opened her big volume in a very business-like manner the day was cold and windy and fires burned cheerily at both ends of the spacious apartment 
perhaps no historical work has ever yet been written in which the first half-dozen pages were not just a little dry the grave historian has of late years borrowed many hints from the novelist but he has not yet been bold enough to make a dash at his subject in medius race and to start his first chapter with ventre segris said the king i have heard enough of this matter and will brook no further parley the man dies to-morrow nor has he yet deigned to wind himself insidiously into his theme under cover of two travellers riding side by side through the sunset mrs lobby was beginning to yawn piteously over a grave disquisition upon the merits and demerits of feudalism and the lineage when a servant announced sir nugent evershed my dear sir nugent this is kind of you cried flo closing the big volume with a sigh of relief i didn't expect to see you again for an age after the dreary evening we gave you on tuesday i've never spent a dreary evening in this house answered the baronet as he laid his hat and riding-whip on a little table and seated himself in a low chair very near flows you ought to know that mrs lobbier there was some shade of intention in his tone but florence lobbier was accustomed to that tone and knew how to parry all such impalpable attacks indeed i do not know anything of the kind she said in her liveliest manner i thought you might possibly be a little tired of major henniker's indian stories you must have heard some of them several times but he certainly tells them well i confess to being heartily tired of them notwithstanding but the attraction which brings me to pevins hall in spite of myself sometimes is not major henniker flo gave that little look of innocent surprise which is always at the command of a thorough-paced coquette you have brought me some new idea for my cottages she said pointing to a roll of paper in the baronet's hand yes i have a friend in oxfordshire who has built schools for his poor and i have brought you a sketch of his buildings after this there was a good deal of discussion about the merits of tudor architecture as opposed to the swiss cottage or norman tower style of building and then the baronet and mrs lobbier began to talk of other things and by some subtle transition the conversation assumed a more interesting and a more personal character and flo found herself talking to sir nugent more confidentially than she had ever talked to him before in spite of their intimate acquaintance they had been so much together and yet had been so rarely alone that there had been little opportunity for confidential converse between them this october afternoon with the early dusk gathering in the room and the fires burning red and low seemed the very occasion for friendly confidence flo talked with her usual candour of her father herself her husband and the empty frivolity of her life and all at once she found that the conversation had assumed a tone which every experienced coquette knows to be dangerous sir nugent was beginning to tell his companion how terrible a sacrifice she had made in marrying thomas lobbier and how bitterly he above all other men mourned and deplored that sacrifice even at this point flo's liveliness did not desert her please don't call it a sacrifice sir nugent nothing annoys me so much as for my friends to take that tone about me she said i married mr lobbier with my eyes open and i have no right to complain of the bargain he has given me everything he ever promised to give me but can he give you the love you were created to inspire no florence you know he cannot give you that there is not a field labourer on this estate less able to comprehend you or less worthy of your love than the man you call your husband before florence could reprimand her admirer's audacity he had pounced on the little hand lying loosely on the cushion of her chair and had lifted it to his lips 
as she drew it indignantly away from him and as he raised his head after bending over the little hand he uttered a sudden exclamation and started to his feet looking across mrs lobier's head at the great glass doors of the palm house which opened out of the drawing-room i knew that man was a spy he exclaimed snatching his riding-whip from the table what man cried flo alarmed by the unwonted fierceness in sir nugent's face mr lobier's footman he has been amusing himself by listening to our conversation i recognized his agreeable face flattened against one of those glass doors just this moment don't be frightened there is not the least occasion for alarm but i must ascertain the meaning of this man's insolence the baronet went into the palm-house and closed the doors after him flo followed him to the doors but could follow him no farther for she found that he had bolted as well as closed them why did he do that she thought i hope he is not going to make any esclandre what does it matter if the man did listen i dare say many servants are fond of listening she looked through the doors but it was very dark in the palm-house and if sir nugent and the footman were there she could not see them there were other glass doors opening on to the terrace and in all probability the man had made his escape by that way i hope sir nugent won't be so absurd as to follow him thought flo he is getting very tiresome i suppose he has been allowed to come here too often i shall have to be dignified and make a quarrel with him she stood peering into the darkness for some time but she could neither hear nor see anything in the palm-house she went to one of the windows and looked out upon the terrace but she could see nothing there so she seated herself by the fire and waited very impatiently for sir nugent's return she had been waiting more than half an hour when he came back through the palm-house well she cried what does it all mean it means that the man is a private detective set to watch you by your husband answered sir nugent quietly i dare say a person in that line of life gets a good many thrashings but i don't think he can ever have received a sounder drubbing than the one i have just given him a detective set to watch me echoed flo with an air of stupefaction yes florence i made the man acknowledge his calling and name his employer if you doubt me he shall repeat his confession for your satisfaction these sort of fellows think nothing of going over to the enemy i have made him anxious to serve me by the promise of handsome payment and i have made him afraid to disoblige me by the threat of another thrashing the proceeding is worthy of your husband is it not but what does it mean cried flo what in heaven's name does it all mean i am ashamed to tell you but i insist on knowing you insist i do and you will not reproach me for any pain my revelation may cause you no no then if you ask me what i really think of this detestable business i will tell you my thoughts in the plainest words i think your husband is a scoundrel and that he has placed that wretched sneak in this house in the hope that he might be able to trump up some flimsy evidence against your truth and honour as his wife evidence that will serve mr lobier in the divorce court evidence against me the divorce court are you mad sir nugent no florence i am only telling you the naked truth and all its hideousness forgive me if the truth is horrible to you i wrung the worst part of that truth out of the spy's throat just now when i caught him and grappled with him yonder he spoke pretty plainly for i think he knew he had never had a nearer chance of being strangled than he had at that moment mrs lobier your husband's conduct has been an enigma to me from the first day in which we met in switzerland but in the happiness i found in your society i was content to leave that enigma unsolved to-day for the first time i read the riddle thomas lobier hated me as a boy thomas lobier hates me as a man 
he has chosen to cultivate my acquaintance down here because my acquaintance happened to be useful to him amongst people with whom wealth does not stand for everything he has made use of me hating me while he did so and holding himself in readiness for the first chance of vengeance and now he thinks the chance is in his hand and you are to be sacrificed to the meanest spite that ever festered in the heart of a villain i don't understand murmured florence helplessly i don't understand it is difficult for a woman to understand such baseness your husband has set his spy to watch you he knows that you are good and true and pure but he knows something else besides that what does he know he knows that i love you florence yes the time has come in which i must speak plainly the time has come in which you must leave this house which is no longer a fitting shelter for you mr lobier knows that i love you has known as much in all likelihood for some time past but he has waited very patiently for his opportunity and the opportunity as he thinks has arrived he has set his spy to watch us and no doubt the spy is by this time well up in his lesson what lesson what has the man to discover cried flo indignantly you must know sir nugent evershed that if you had dared to speak to me before to-day as you have spoken now you would have been forbidden this house the fragile little figure seemed to grow taller by two or three inches as mrs lobier reproved her admirer she felt as much outraged by his audacity as if no spice of coquetry had ever tainted the purity of her nature she was just one of those women who may balance themselves for ever upon the narrow boundary wall between propriety and disgrace and never run the smallest risk of toppling over on the wrong side if this man is a spy i have no fear of him she exclaimed resolutely let him go back to his employer to tell of his wasted labour such a man as that will not allow his labour to be wasted your husband does not want to hear the truth he is ready to accept any falsehood that will serve his purpose and that man is a less accomplished rogue than i take him for if he cannot get enough out of the tittle-tattle of the servants hall to make a case for some pettifogging lawyer a case that will break down ignominiously perhaps but which will be strong enough to tarnish your name for ever and ever florence looked at her lover with a colourless bewildered face in which there was a brave expression of defiance nevertheless sir nugent evershed was not a good man and if thomas Labier, the parvenu had basely plotted the disgrace and ruin of his young wife sir nugent the country gentleman was not above profiting by the roturier's baseness he did not think there was any infamy in his conduct he admired florence very much he loved her as much as it was natural to him to love anybody except himself and he felt most genuine indignation against her husband but he felt at the same time that this shameful business came to pass very conveniently for him as it was eminently calculated to bring matters to a crisis just as he was beginning to be rather tired of a flirtation which had pursued its even tenor for the last twelve months without giving him any firmer hold upon the heart of the woman he loved the crisis had come and he discovered all at once that he the accomplished courtier the experienced loveless had been very much mistaken in his estimate of this pretty frivolous coquettish young matron he had expected to find florence lobier utterly weak and helpless in the hour of trial and lo to his surprise and confusion she turned upon him resolute and defiant as a heroine and he felt his eyelids droop under her fearless gaze why do you tell me this she asked if the tittle-tattle of the servants hall can injure my good name it is you who have brought that injury upon me if your visits here in my husband's absence have been too frequent the blame lies with you who have had twice my experience of the world and should have protected me against my own imprudence i have trusted you as a gentleman and a man of honour sir nugent evershed 
am i to think that you are neither think nothing of me except that i love you florence and that i am only anxious to protect you from a scoundrel the presence of a hired spy in this house and the confession i wrung from the spy are sufficient evidence of a deep-laid scheme you must leave this house florence i must must i mrs lobby repeated innocently but when and how to-night whispered the baronet and with me flo made her lover a low curtsey i ought to be very much flattered by your desire to burden yourself with me at the very moment when it seems my husband is trying to get rid of me she said but i have no intention of leaving pevins hall sir nugent if my husband has been pleased to set a spy over my actions it shall be my business to show him that i am not afraid of spies but it is a quarter to seven and i must run away to dress good afternoon and good-bye sir nugent perhaps so long as the detective remains and mr lobbier stays away it will be just as well for you to discontinue your visits as you please mrs lobbier answered the baronet with a stately sulkiness he retired from the apartment and waited in the portico while his horse was being brought round to him he had known what it was to fail in his character of a loveless before to-day but he had never before experienced a failure so ignominious and unexpected flo tripped off to her room smiling defiance upon insolent admirers and private detectives but when the door of her dressing-room was closed behind her and she found herself alone in that sacred chamber she buried her face in the pillows of a low sofa and burst into tears what a miserable empty frivolous life it is she cried and what a despicable creature i am the private detective disappeared from pevins hall after his encounter with sir nugent evershed flo made some inquiries about the man next day and was informed by her housekeeper that he had left in a most mysterious manner without a word of warning but i never liked the man ma'am said the housekeeper there was something underhand in his manner and i always used to feel a cold shivery sensation when he came near me sir nugent evershed came no more to the splendid mansion on the hill and mrs lobier waited very quietly for whatever fate had in store for her there was no sign of mr lobier neither letter nor message to announce his coming the inane young lady returned to her relatives and flo was fain to entreat her dear major and mrs henniker to remain with her lest she should be left quite alone in that spacious dwelling i might send for my aunt jane she thought when she brooded upon her position but i think a very little of aunt jane would be the death of me just now a change came over the spirit of the young matron she was no longer the airy volatile creature who had wasted her days in skipping from one amusement to another in exchanging an extravagant toilette of the morning for a more extravagant toilette of the afternoon she undertook a gigantic enterprise in the way of berlin wool-work and sat hour after hour by her dear mrs henniker's side counting stitches and picking up glittering beads on the point of her needle she listened with sublime patience to the major's indian stories and yet all this time the traditionary fox was knowing its way to her heart emblem of all hidden care courageously endured she knew that a crisis in her life had come she knew that there was something ominous in mr lobier's long absence his obstinate silence she remembered the foolish recklessness with which she had provoked and defied scandal above all she remembered mr lobier's vague threat on the occasion of her one serious misunderstanding with him and connecting that threat with the spy's presence and sir nugent evershed's positive assertions florence lobbier saw herself menaced by no small danger her husband was a scoundrel she had known that for a long time false to her from first to last himself he was yet quite capable of wreaking some terrible revenge upon her for the shadow of falsehood to him 
i know that he came in pitiless she thought i remember his face that day after our quarrel and i know that i have no mercy to expect from him i have not been a good wife and i can scarcely wonder if he wishes to get rid of me but if he had loved me when he married me honestly and truly as i believe that he did i think i should have done my duty mrs lobier waited very patiently for the unknown danger which she dreaded from her husband's vengeance but the days and weeks drifted by and no prophetic cloud darkened the quiet horizon this dull period of suspense was the most painful ordeal she had ever been called upon to endure in all her thoughtless life and it is to be recorded to her credit that she endured it bravely the cloud appeared at last a big black cloud but not prophetic of that social tempest which flo had dreaded the cloud was the shadow of commercial failure at first faint rumours came to pevins hall then more definite reports at last the fatal tidings the greatest of all the great crashes of the year was the crash with which the master of Pevensall went to ruin the pitiless money article recorded the great man's destruction very briefly mr lobier of the lobier cotton mills and king street manchester of mortimer gardens hyde park and Pevensall place yorkshire had failed for half a million the next tidings that came to Pevens hall were of even a darker nature so dark and terrible indeed that major henniker felt himself called upon to dispatch two telegrams in mrs lobier's interest one to rome where mr crawford and his wife had newly arrived the other to russell square summoning mrs bushby post-haste to the succour of her niece before mrs bushby could arrive florence had discovered that some new calamity had befallen her and had extorted the dismal tidings from the lips of the major himself the commercial crash had only been the first act of the social tragedy there had been a second and more terrible act while the news in the money article was still fresh upon men's lips thomas lobier had shot himself through the head in his manchester counting-house the details of his ruin are not worth recording here by what false moves upon the chessboard of commerce by what mad lust for gain by what sudden impulses of caution at moments when rashness would have been prudence by what reckless speculation in the hour when timidity would have been salvation by what fatal steps upon the speculator's downward road he had hurried to his destruction can have little interest here it may be set down to his credit as a thoroughly practical and business-like person that no act of generosity had ever made him the poorer by sixpence and that no honourable scruple had ever hindered him from enriching himself at the expense of other people his iron hand had closed relentlessly upon every chance of profit his iron heart had been adamant to every plea if the end of all was failure he had at least some title to the respect of the practical and no man could insult his memory by that half contemptuous pity which a money-making world bestows on the good-natured ne'er-do-weel who has been no one's enemy but his own End of chapter thirty three